Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits of Mitch Rap Podcast. What's happening this week, Mike? Hey, not much. I enjoyed talking with Eric Bishop last week. I only wish you could have joined us because we had a good time. Yeah, I finally got a chance to listen to your interview. Uh, very good job. You got you did a very good job, and uh, he seemed like a very nice guy. I'm really excited for him. When you guys listen to this episode, his book will have been out for a couple days now. Yeah, and I actually started it along to- alongside reading it. Actually, reading this one because I don't have the audio book. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. So I'm excited to be able to talk to you about it in a couple weeks. We can do a little after we talk about Order to Kill. We can go go revisit that and do some spoiler stuff that, that way people have time to listen to it and maybe we can have some fan engagement right and um forgot to mention at the end of the interview that eric was kind enough to let us raffle off or do a giveaway for mitch rap pod listeners for Ooh. a copy of the body man so if you haven't seen our post on social media check out facebook twitter instagram we're going to give another week or two for you to retweet the post and tag a mate, tag a friend who you think would enjoy a new debut author's thriller. And you might have a chance to get your own copy of The Body Man, in addition to the one you already own, or one for a friend to give away. There you go. Yeah. Now, we got to get to Order to Kill. Did you say Chris Furman, the audiobook guru, actually read this one on the printed page? Uh, Order to Kill? Yeah. No, I'm I'm reading. Well, actually, I so I got this Kindle Paperwhite for last Christmas. Okay, and everything's just been so crazy with my life. You know, graduating, moving, moving again, moving again. Uh, you know, raising three kids. I, <laughs> raising three kids. I haven't had a chance to actually physically read a book. Like one of the nice things about pushing back Enemy at the Gates was that I was able to wait for. Uh, <laughs> The audiobook because I had started I'd read I don't know like 15 or 20 20 or so chapters and then because we, we pushed it back we decided to do whatever I actually got to read it and I, I I like reading new audiobooks you know like hearing George Goodell but yeah no I'm I'm reading this one and then I'm also listening to it because uh I have the scribed app highly recommend the scribed app anyone oh, yeah. out there this is uh, no ads but no free ads but I do like the scribed app no, but I'm reading The Body Man. That's what I was saying. Gotcha. You're reading The Body Man on, on the Kindle, Kindle version. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Appreciating my Kindle paperweight. All right, also... so we gotta, you got to update the podcast anytime you pick up a physical book next. Because we, we got to know. Uh, like a, a non-e-book? Not Kindle, like a... not an e-book, not an audio book unscribed. We got to know when Chris is next in the print, smell the pages, you know, feel that crisp, crisp texture. What book you got in your hands next? No, it would have had to been the uh, the arc for Enemy of the Gates. For enemy, yeah, the last time the I, I, All right. I'll How about this? Know. I challenge you to read one book in print before the next arc of the next Metrap <laughs> book. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Oh, oh yo. I got a bunch of books last year for Christmas that, like, I got, um, that I've, well, no, I haven't, I haven't read that. Like, I got, uh, what did I get? Anyways, my dad just went to this, um. He he was up in Maryland somewhere. We're going way off the rails. He was up in Maryland somewhere, and they were having a, a, a you know closeout. So they had all these really nice hardcovers because I like to collect hardcovers for like one dollar, two dollars, three dollars. Right. Um, he got me like three of the Jack Carr books in hardcover. He got me a Lethal Agent, which I I only had the arc of Lethal Agent. I I never I, I it never came. I ordered it on Amazon and it never came. And then, like things were crazy. I just didn't follow up on it. And then, no, I guess that was Total Power. Anyways, but uh, yeah. So. I don't know where this place is because usually you find those like dollar hardcovers there. They're like some of the classics or the old ones. You don't get the newer books like a Jack Carr or Kyle Mills. This was know. Ollie's. It's not even a bookstore. It's yeah, Ollie's, Ollie's. Like just a random. They have everything. Uh, like, You're right. They have everything. But You're they right. were going out of business. So like they had all their books. And so they had newer books. Gotcha. Yeah. Ollie's has everything. Yeah. Anyways. Oh. I should mention, I am currently reading a physical book to my son. We got the illustrated versions of the Harry Potter. And yes. so we are reading a chapter a night. You did say so that. That is, that is a physical book. All right, that counts. That counts. That counts. I'll give it to you. There it is. I like that, too. It's a nice uh, tradition to set up. 
Yeah. I like that. When do you get to Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings? I hope that's next after Harry Potter. Oh, well, they need to make a, well, it might be coming now that Amazon has the, is going to making the Lord of the Rings verse, but uh, right, they need right. to make an illustrated version. Cause that's what really engages Patrick is like, you know, there'll be like two pages of just text and then we get to this next page and it's like this full grand scape of like you know, Hagrid and the Dursleys. And love that. Then Diagon Alley and then we get to, Her- you know, then we get to Hogwarts. It's really cool. I love that. Love that. Nice. That's awesome. All right, well, I hinted at it. We are getting to Order to Kill. And in some ways, you might say it's Kyle's first complete Mitch Rapp novel because The Survivor, there were three pages written by Vince Flynn still to kick off that book. This is Kyle's first entirely creative piece where he didn't necessarily have to build out storylines that were already given to him, you know, because The Survivor was heavily based on the events of the last man. This is Kyle's own storytelling at its finest. And so I'm looking forward to getting into it. And I know Chris, you always have the scores on Goodreads and the summary for us. Did you come through today? I did. I did. Okay. So this one has a uh, pretty highly reviewed, um, a little bit higher than, than the survivor it has a 4.33 on Goodreads, which is one of the highest 4.6 on Amazon out of almost 4,500 reviews. And yeah, I, I think, um, like you said, it, it's Kyle's first real book. He didn't have, you know, I guess he this was his first opportunity. And I guess like, he had to come up with his own story in The Survivor, but he had to rely heavily on, it was a two-part book, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're getting into his Russian trilogy, the part one of his Russian trilogy, which, I don't know, this book is just really good. I'm just going to say it. I, I really enjoy it revisiting these books oh yeah i still have that hot take i gotta share so yeah you you, you let me hang it off of our, our last recording and I, i'm interested to hear that so all right it'll come all right so goodreads says in the next thrilling novel of the new york times number one best-selling mitch rap series the anti-terrorism operative heads to pakistan to confront a mortal threat he may not be prepared for in fact this time he might have met his match and Mitrap is used to winning. But in the follow-up to the previous book, The Survivor, the CIA operative finds himself chasing false leads from continent to continent in an effort to keep the Pakistani nukes from falling into the hands of terrorists. Together with friends and colleague, friend and colleague Scott Coleman, Rap struggles to prevent the loss of these lethal weapons, particularly because Russia is so intent on using the nukes and not for the same reason as Rapp and Coleman. Soon it becomes alarmingly clear that forces in Moscow are bent on fomenting even more chaos and turmoil in the Middle East, and Rapp must go deep into Russian territory to figure this out. I mean, this pretty much gives away the entire book, <laughs> but right. this is a very compelling story, and I'm just going to come out the gate, like, and they even mentioned it here, the theme of this first part is Mitch Rapp outmatched. Right. Is he behind the eight ball? I guess we've seen him be a little bit behind the eight ball before. This is like a current, I guess, a theme that, that Kyle likes to do. I guess the last time we saw him behind the eight ball was when the attack actually happened in Total Power. Total Power. He's a little bit outmatched in Lethal Agent. You know, like this, this virus is getting out. He has to like track it down. But here, we're getting outmatched, not in this, like, global, you know, structure of events. He's being outmatched by an individual with the talent. It's almost as if Louis Gould and the, you know, he talked the talk, but he was maybe just not as good as rap in walking the walk. Grisha Azarov comes off the page as a force. As someone who I think could best Louis Gould, and someone who definitely were being set up, who does outmuscle Scott Coleman, outthink Scott Coleman. And the question is if Rap were in Scott's shoes, would Rap have been on the receiving end of Grisha's, you know, beating and almost died or, or died? Like, would he have been beat if Rap were in Scott Coleman's shoes? Which is a scene I'm just dying to get to, but I guess we'll have to save that a little. 
Right. So I just wanted to come out from the gun and 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 say like so essentially what Kyle is doing here is revisiting consent to kill almost because you have very a lot of I, I saw a lot of similarities. You know, you have Claudia mm-hmm. coming back. You see this like burgeoning budding relationship between Rap and, and herself. You have like the bringing up of the, the house, which was right. like was one of the main focal points of consent to kill because you know Anna was starting to work on that. We're finally tying that back together, and then we bring in this uh, character that's supposed to mimic Louis Gould, but be better than him, yeah. and be the complete version of him. Because like where Louis was skilled, he lacked in in mind, whereas Grisha understands rap, understands that rap is not someone to be messed with. I guess Louis Louis also mentioned that, but Louis was stupid enough to 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 take it on. Yeah, the hubris. Uh, Grisha here is being forced to do it mm-hmm. because his he, uh, ultimately is is a puppet of Krupen. Like I want to, I really want to talk to you about about Krupen and in his character. One thing I was wondering: why did Grisha not fight back and say? Because he obviously realized that this was a flawed, flawed plan, and he would rather have more time to do this. Like, why didn't he push back on trying to come up with a better plan, knowing that Mitch was such a a skilled operator. Okay. I I was thinking about this and I think it has to do with Grisha's the opening scene where we first meet him and to be honest, Grisha has an arc of his own. And again, Kyle, right. you know, we love the Kyleisms. He does like I don't want to say the sympathetic villains, but the villains that have another side to them that are not just your black and white pure evil. And so, here's my take on that question. When we meet Grisha, he's in some like bust, some ghost town in in central Russia that's kind of been through its boom, and now it's a bust. Like the factories are closing down. It's it was a working class town, and he's going to meet with one of these oligarchs who is still the only billionaire in the region, basically still pulling the strings in that part of Russia. And Grisha is questioning himself. What am I doing here working for Krupin? I know Krupin likes to keep distinct and isolated the various parts of his schemes. And he's starting to realize maybe I'm just a pawn being kind of used by him. And Grisha actually allows himself to not be convinced, but to at least listen to this Dmitry Utkin. Who's trying to tell him like, you're a pawn, Krupin's using you. You could see Russia going down the tubes. Your guy, the president, is not the right guy to get Russia out of this. You can go around the country doing his dirty work, keeping him in power, you know, basically scaring the crap out of all us aristocracy who, over history, deserved equal power to the, the president. Like, he sh- we should be included. We're the basic, we're, we're the, the backbone of this country economically, financially, socially, by the things that, and the, the services they provide to the Russian citizens. And they could, these group of oligarchs could very easily get the Russian people to turn against Krupin. And one of them, the strongest among them, the most cunning, could undercut Krupin and take over the presidency, right? Could completely have a coup in Russia. Grisha's starting to wonder, which side of this do I want to be on? So I think he's kind of got an arc himself. And so I don't know if he's necessarily thinking clearly on this mission, I think he's realizing he might just be a foot soldier and questioning things himself. And and part of that is he doesn't recognize Scott Coleman's movements later in the warehouse, and he's caught off guard seeing it's not rap. So I think it's all part of this arc of Grisha questioning, does he really want to work for this president? Does mm-hmm. he really want to prop up this regime? Is he going to keep doing these missions? And now he's been physically injured, you know, doing it. He almost got beat. I think it's just going to be part of Grisha's arc that these hap- haphazard missions where he's not even in the picture, he only has a slice of it. I think this is going to be a wake-up call for him, that he should be involved more in the plan, that he should have more of an active role. He shouldn't just be this foot soldier for a weak president who half the country and the oligarchs are turning against. Right. And I think, I, I guess, like sort of piggybacking what you, you said at the very beginning I think what Kyle is trying to set out to do is to show that Grisha is not ultimately going to be the villain. Like he may be 
a villainous character in this novel, but there is going to be a redemption. I think he's like priming us for the ultimate redemption arc. Spoiler alert! Like there is going to be like a redemption arc, and eventually him and Rap are going to be friends and and or I don't know, want to call them friends, but go on missions together, right? So right. Rap is going to have some sense of trust for this guy, and I think Kyle is setting us up from the very beginning not to not to hate him like we hated what was the uh, the professor right right who was a, a pawn of Hank Clark or not not to hate Louis Gold um Grisha is, is questioning he he doesn't trust Crouppen he's questioning him from the very get-go right but ultimately he does do Crouppen's dirty work because sure. that's what he's been trained to do right yeah, he does and there's multiple times where it says how Crouppen kind of handpicked him from the special forces, gave him this lavish lifestyle, whatever he wanted, you know, really made him his poster child. And so I think Greece is starting to question basically his youth, you know, his 20s or whatever, when he was in the special forces and he got picked, he got he got groomed essentially by these men. And I think he's starting to realize that grooming process. They're trying to make him just a cold-blooded killer and just a brainwash, do whatever you need for the Russian president at their will. And we see Grisha wanting to think for himself, which I think makes right. him a character we're sympathetic towards and that we could be okay with if he uses his skill set to question Russian authority, to question right. the morals and the calls being made. And those seeds are there right away. So we could see Grisha as someone we maybe don't root for all the time, but if out of necessity we have to have on our team, we'd be okay with it. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is a guy who, just the regimen that he was explaining, like how he's gotten to be who he is, you know, has brought in all these, you know, martial arts trainers, uh, ballistic trainers, like world-renowned people to teach him, you know, to hone his skills. He even has this, like, banned German sports doctor who has him on, like, some... The uh, cocktail. It reminds me of like that. Have you seen the Born Legacy? It's like the one Born movie without uh, Matt Damon. It has Jeremy uh, Renner. I don't think so. And in that one, it it shows like the new Treadstone. Well, it's not called Treadstone, but you know whatever the Treadstone, the newest one is. They have these super soldiers essentially, where they're fed these these two drugs. One like is supposed to help with your your mind, and one's supposed to help with your body. By doing, they explain it in the movie, anyways. Uh, scientifically doesn't work out. You know, Grisha is pumped up on all that, though. And there's even a line at one point where he's just like, I have to take this just because I take it, and that's what they tell me to do, and I know it makes me the best in the business and the fastest. Oh, and he's running that obstacle course also. Right. That doctor is like, everything is so scientific. And the doctor's like, if I give you this cocktail, this drug, and I lace it with some of this... You should shave off half a second from the obstacle course. Why did you not shave off half a second? You know, you only shaved off two-tenths of a second. And it just shows, like, it made me think of, like, the Russian hockey team. And, right, you know, right. the the miracle on ice. Like, is that the type of advantage that ultimately wins long-term? Does it build the character that's going to make the right call in the field all the time? Or does it just create this artificial super soldier and i think grisha at one point takes the drugs and he's just like i don't know another life or another way i just do it mindlessly because i'm programmed to but we see a glimpse of grisha starting to say like it's i know it's going to shave off years of my life i'm not concerned about that i'm concerned about performance but now he's getting older he's kind of starting to question things just a little i feel right so I guess related to all this is the is the the Krupen character, the president of Russia. Like I, I wanted to ask you, what do you what do you think of him? Obviously, he's sort of based off of the current Russian president. Not you know, Kyle's not uh, not hiding anything there. I don't know. He seems he's a very interesting character to me, and we spend more time with him. I feel like in the very beginning than than we do some of our other villains that we have in in previous books. We're let in on the, this whole plot fairly early on. So there's no suspense in terms of like what the actual, I mean, I guess we don't know the whole plot, but we, we know that there's going to be something involved with nukes and taking out these, these Saudi Arabian oil fields. And he plans to drive the price of oil up, you know, to $3 or uh, what is it? 
$300 a barrel and, and you know, yeah. then people will start relying on Russia and stuff like that. I, I don't know. It's a, the, the plot mechanism is, is interesting, especially finding out so early on. I think, though, the, the magic here is in how that's revealed. I think it's less who Krupen is and what he's doing and more how Kyle is telling us that story because, like, even his plan to destroy the oil fields... It's not like, oh, Kyle just writes a chapter and the Russian president is just explaining his thinking for no reason. Right. He's in a, a meeting with all the people who could challenge his authority. And there's one old timer who's pushing back, who the one who does have the balls, but also the rap sheet to say something in front of this group to the president. And he opens his mouth and Krupen's like kind of taken aback. But then a young person, another one of these young oligarchs, who really doesn't have the background to be able to speak up to the president. And in normal times, when the president does not seem weak, would never open his mouth, he starts mouthing off, and he starts pulling apart Krupen. And Krupen sees this almost a rebellion on his hands by this crew. And he says, now I'm going to play my trump card, which is, here's what we're doing in Pakistan. We're going to try to get nukes and fissile material from... The Pakistani, you know, shit show that's going on over there, which was related to the recent events where rap killed Ahmed Taj. And so there's no there's a power vacuum in Pakistan. Krubin's plan is to expose that, take advantage from it, get this fissile material that cannot be tied back to Russia and use it to destroy Saudi oil fields. So I don't really care that much about Krupin yet, if I'm being honest. But I love the storytelling of how Vince is unveiling that because the the Russian power dynamics Oh, and then the architecture. Kyle, yeah. Kyle, Kyle, yeah. You know how you picked up in Enemy at the Gates the way the cooks are changing the White House and the architecture and the decor is so telling? Kyle gives a lot of detail on Krupin's, I guess we're in the Kremlin or wherever he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the, the building and the decor in his office. Various meeting places, yeah. Right. And, And one of them is he wanted to bring in the desk of like the czars. So I think it was Nicholas II. And so he's trying to establish this whole like, I'm the next in a long line of Russian rulers going back centuries who can dominate this part of the world and are a global superpower. And Grisha's like, but does he get the irony that Nicholas II was deposed in the revolution (laughs) by the common people? And so he's almost like he's going too fast for himself. He wants to bring back the grandness of the czar, but he's making some missteps and Grisha's kind of picking up on those. There's a lot of interesting storytelling dynamics in those details. Yeah. And the, I like how Kyle brings in those details to flush out the character, build the character more. Cause you could just brought in this, you know, call him Dimitri, you know, some (laughs) Russian person who's wants to, you know, hurt the United States but what makes it more interesting is building this character and while I say like or while you say he you might not care about him yet I think when it comes to when we see his ultimate downfall in three books from now you will have appreciated that character and that that building of of, sure. of who he is better you know yeah the world building yeah speaking exactly. of though so Dmitri Utkin is the mm-hmm. guy Grisha's meeting with in the prelude or in the prologue. Yes. Who he kills, yeah. And he kills him. Am I wrong that Utkin is also the guy in Red War who unseats Krupen? Isn't that mm. Utkin also? I was like, maybe, maybe when Utkin died, Utkin? I was like, wait, shit, Utkin comes back later. <sighs> maybe it's another oh, closely sounding Russian name. I'm, I forget. I'm pretty sure it was. Okay, in this book, it was Dmitry Utkin. Red War. Dude, Red War is Boris Utkin. Boris Utkin. Oh, maybe he's related. We'll have to get to that. But yeah, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of connective tissue between those two books. Because so. when we saw Utkin, I was in my mind, I'm like, wait, that's Krupin. He's going to be president for a while. And I'm like, wait, he killed Utkin? I thought the Russian president was around for multiple books. I had them mixed up because the name Utkin also comes back in Red War. Yeah. Right. We're going to have to track this. Because like I said, I think these two or three books... Order to Kill, Enemy of the State, and Red War are Kyle's books I probably have most forgotten the storylines of. And 
I didn't even finish this reread of Order to Kill. I only did the first half for this podcast. So I'm kind of in the dark, if you will, forgetting the the details of the storylines at the end of this book in Enemy at the State and how that leads up to Red War. So it's going to be like a new new wave of doing this. I don't think there are books that I completely have forgotten this much since maybe Act of Treason. It's like uh, reading the book all over again. Yeah, it's actually kind of nice. Like in this one, I knew, I knew Grisha comes around. Right, right. I you know, like he does. The, the... I'm pretty sure I remember him hurting Scott Coleman. I remember Coleman's right, out of the right. game no, for you a while. That, yeah. But I don't remember the details of it. So, dude, can we get to the action stuff? Because yeah, let's do it. I want to share with you my hot take. So, before we get to that scene, we have to talk about how rap is brought into this story. Right. Because we open up with Grisha and all that. But then we see Rap is going to protect Claudia in South Africa. And in my mind, I'm kind of thinking like, we saw them together. He already visited her in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I get that he's playing this role of protection, but I know there's also a relationship you know, being built here. So I'm like, what's he doing on the ground? Well, it turns out he has intel that there's a hit on her. Someone tipped off the CIA that they're going after her. He pulls out of Pakistan, leaves Scott Coleman in charge of tracking the nukes, which the power vacuum in Pakistan has created a whole mess of. The general there in charge of the army wants to control the nukes to get it away from the politician, the prime minister, who is kind of like pro-America. He's one of our allies. That's why Rap didn't kill him and, and took out his adversary, Ahmed Taj, with a fork in the uh, – no, no, the fork was the, uh, the sender. He, he killed him with the uh, poison. With the poison, yeah. The yeah. poison in, in the survivor. So anyway, all these nukes are going on Pakistan. Why would why would Rap leave? Well, he hears Claudia's in danger. And so the Russians who are pulling the strings, they're pretty spot on knowing that Rap has something going on for Claudia and would, would run to her aid. Well, yeah, they, they, know, they know something that the CIA has invested a lot of money in protecting this lady right. and setting her up with a new identity house well and i think was it the the russian who was on site is like something's up with this you know she has a you know she pissed off somebody you know yeah, who is she? she yeah who is she she has she has a trust fund but she really hasn't done anything else you know she doesn't work she doesn't have a, or a steady job what do you think of the whole heel turn in terms of we get the one chapter where it looks like rap is caught right whereas we we were just the chapter before Rap got the jump on the guy. Yeah. And then Rap gets brought in, and then it comes to find out that this Kent, this, what is his name? Kent Black. Kent Black is his cover. Yeah. Uh, it was Scott, Steve Thompson. Steve Thompson is the, his real you know, name. this, is, yeah. uh, what does he call him? He calls him a sociopath. Um, right. Almost like a Louis Gould esque character. Kind of nuts. Uh, but yeah. you know, this guy was like, I'm not fucking with Mitch Rap. And I I know that this is Louis Gould's wife. I'm getting. I'm not touching this with a ten foot pole. I'm gonna I'm gonna get myself a favor and tell Mitch Rap. He calls Rap. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He phones it in. All right. I was thrown off, and I think again though it worked out. Like Kyle got me. Like he totally. Oh yeah. If you didn't know me. that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Because Rap is is climbing this mountain, and he's like, this would be the best vantage point for a sniper. And it seems like he's just taking a stroll, and then he's like, oh yeah, there he is, and he sees a there sniper lying on the ground. I'm like, dude. Like alarm bells should be going off. You just randomly on a hike through the mountains stumbled on a sniper and his position. Like, what is going on? And then you try to take him, and he apparently turns on you. He detonates a device that was watching his six while he was laying in sniper posi- in prone position. I'm like, so now this guy's got rap, and he's 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 handcuffed him. I'm like, what? This is just so strange. And then Kyle gives us. This dude, Steve Thompson, hired by the Russians because he's kind of a loon. He was a special forces. I want to say Delta guy, maybe. But he basically would take the ranger. highest bidder. He was yeah. a ranger? Okay. Uh, yeah, he, he'd go to the highest uh, bidder because he was raised on some farm in the middle of nowhere, Montana. His dad was a crazy Killed his like, dad? Yeah, his dad was like a conspiracy freak. And so he taught him all this survival stuff in the woods. But then his dad went off the deep end and started beating him. And so, like, he used, like, his final mission that his dad was training him for was to kill him and leave him in the woods or something. Like, it's kind of like the plot from 10 Cloverfield Lane. Have you ever seen that, that, no. that movie? 
I saw the first Cloverfield. Yeah. The, 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 the sequel, which is not supposed to be related, but it is related. Anyway. Yeah. This character is very quirky, weird. That's a Kyle. Um, yes, very much so. We get another quirky character that we can talk about later on, but the the Craig character, the, Craig uh, guy, the, yep. the nuclear, he has three PhDs, but he's tatted up. He's he was like, like the hired by the CIA. In yeah, the world. like hired by the CIA, quit because he doesn't doesn't like uh, authority essentially, and now he's like the most highly uh, paid and and the smartest mechanic on the planet. So. And he soups up all the CIA's cars. Yeah, so we got two kind of quirky characters which kyle told us he thinks that's his thing he's got it here but this so i'm wondering this steve thompson sniper dude what's going on he actually called up rap and said like yo if this job i took with the russians involves mitch rap i'm not getting on the bad side of this and that actually works because he takes in rap in the trunk of a car as if he captured him when he turns him over to the russians he and rap turn the tables interrogate the russian and find out and this russian when Rap is giving him the business, says, ah, Grisha's going to get you anyway. And now Rap's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because Rap wants to know who's after Claudia. This Russian dude eventually gives it away and says, eh, you're going to find out soon enough when you meet Grisha. And so Rap now has a mission to protect Claudia. He's got he's to kill Grisha. Yeah, so this is going to be my next point to bring up. Do we really believe that Rap has never heard of Grisha? I mean, like they they yep. sort of address it with a conversation between Irene and and him, and the fact that he's been doing Krupen's dirty work. Obviously, they're going to have right. They would maybe they don't Intel. know it's Grisha, but they have like some sort of you know like code name for for who this guy is. You know, we right. don't know who this guy is, but like the vampires out there. You know, like oh, I don't know, that's a bad name, but like you know, and Baba Grisha Yaya. Is in <laughs> Grisha isn't his real name. There no, I know a, that. Yeah, exactly. There was a little drop of what his actual family name was. So, I, yeah, I, I don't, I can't conceive of a reason the CIA would not have intel on this guy if he's that high up the ranks. And we know we've had Russian moles. We had Sitting Bull, right? Like, Krupin does like to compartmentalize things. So no one but himself knows all the different operations. So maybe none of our moles or our intel was able to crack that part. But I feel like if a guy's that good, Irene's going to have the drop on him. That's the yeah, one especially thing if, like, I didn't buy. He, you know, he's obviously taken, has no hesitation taking on these oligarchs. And I don't even think it's mentioned that like they, he did it with the previous one and then just chopped up his, his, his money and gave it to the other ones. So they're going to have tabs on this. They're going to, you know, I agree that maybe they don't know who who he is or have a description of who of of anything, but they would have something that like all right we you know, give him a code name and all right may, and then Grab could be like oh maybe maybe this guy is this guy you know I don't right. know that's one thing I, I had I had trouble buying yeah I don't buy how Kennedy and Rapper in the dark it's like. He definitely has an athletic build. So let's look at athletes that were growing up around this time period in Russia. And Kenny's like, okay, so I'm looking for a white dude who is an athlete in Russia. I'm like, okay, I don't have much to go off of here, Mitch. But how do they not already have a profile of this guy? I, I Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So all of this, though. Oh, I guess Claudia being taken. So rap working with Steve Thompson are going to basically try to figure out who's behind this, but it's not before they do get to Claudia. And so here's a question. The tractor trailer, Claudia's driving down a street. They have this ramp come out the back of a, uh, of a truck. And then a car behind Claudia's SUV has this like forklift kind of claw that guides her SUV with nowhere else to go except up the ramp into the back of this truck. Anna's freaking out. Claudia's trying to tell her to be okay. And these ISIS guys are in the truck. Like, that's where I lost it a little bit. I'm like, is ISIS really at the point where someone like the Russians is contracting ISIS dudes to go to South Africa and do their missions? Like, doesn't Russia have their own people to be able to pull something like that? Even if you don't want them to be Russian, right? So you don't leave a trail. That was all part of the plan. Other mercenaries. That are not ISIS. 
Like that didn't make sense. I think they want to tie in this idea of ISIS is on the rise, and like it, that was supposed to be part of Crouppen's plan. Of ISIS is now kidnapping people, you know, because he, he's going to blame all of this what's going on in Pakistan on ISIS and like sort of drum up okay. fear with the Americans, you know. Okay. Yeah, but that whole scene reminded me of just like some sort of scene from the Fast and the Furious. Like, it, yeah. it, it was yeah, yeah. not something normally that we see in in a Mitrap novel. Yeah, it was very different. Very, very different. Yeah. Rap Freezer, though, eventually gets the drop, knows there's this guy, Grisha, and then they got to go look for him. Now, what brings his team, what intel do they get to actually fly to Faisalabad? Because this is where I wanted to get to. Rap and Scott, Irene, and Maslik. Maslik's in on the gig. Irene puts them all in Faisalabad. Oh, this is part of Krupen's plan as well. Yeah, they're just, they, they know that these nukes are being moved around. Right. And- it's a when, trap. When when Mitch leaves, it's a trap. Uh, it's it's a trap. <laughs> when Mitch leaves, uh, Scott, who stays there, gets intel that these things are going to be moving, which was probably leaked, um, you know, by Krupen, and and then Grish is there waiting for him. Grish is uh, waiting. And yeah. then, like this, this was the pl- and he j- he like just finds out that this was the plan all along. He because again, this whole compartmentalization, it leads to a little bit of confusion, like understanding who knows what, who's where. We're doing a lot of jumping around True. very early on in this book. But I will have to say the freaking action in <sighs> these next series of chapters where, you know, they they find out that, all right, the the vegetable truck or, or whatever, like fruit truck is, is there. And then, so they go out on these motorcycles and then Rap conveniently gets like pushed aside and has to go on foot. So this is the thing that sends Scott in there instead of him. And then Scott getting over overrun, Mitch coming up and and seeing all of it from afar, like getting I, I dropped on the just, roof. I wanted to visual, oh yeah, getting picked up and then dropped on on the roof. I wanted to visualize this, uh, or I wanted to see this on camera. Like this, this all this whole action scene would have been great, a great scene, great sequence to show and film and and and, and look at in a movie. A hundred percent. So here's my hot take. From the moment Scott and Mitch get on those motorcycles and they're weaving through the streets of Pakistan, following the truck, to where Scott is the lone man entering the warehouse because Rap's motorbike got taken out going down some stairs running from cops. He's approaching on foot. Maslik comes in a helicopter, drops a rope to Mitch, puts him up on a good vantage point, looking through the skylights from the roof of a nearby building, down on Scott operating in the warehouse, giving him cover, see Scott get shot in the head. And by the way, the only reason Scott's alive at this point is because he's wearing the helmet. He had to wear the motorbike helmet to hide his blonde hair. Rap was getting mad at him, being like, yo, you can't be operating here with blonde hair. And dude, Kyle in the humor, he keeps bringing up how the blonde hair is going to screw them over. So he's got to hide it. And then he even says he offered to pay Scott Coleman in his contract but with by giving him a tanning bed and some hair dye instead of paying him for the contract. Like That was funny. That was but what, that's that what really saves funny. him because the helmet. That is what saves him. You know, the bullet graze it, whatever. So Scott's trapped down this warehouse. What happens next? Here's my hot take. And I, Chris... I want you to convince me I'm wrong here. I think this is the second best action sequence in all Mitch Rap, including Vince Flynn, including the Vince Flynn books. Outside of Extreme Measures and the CTC, Take Down with Nash, convince me that this isn't the second best action sequence where Scott is getting his ass handed to him by Grisha. It's, you know, that's, it, you're probably right because, again, you know how you said when you read these books but you, you sort of remember things? This is the one thing I remembered from this book, like, th- that stood out. And, and vi- vivid, I vividly re- recalled the scene of, of Scott and his fight with Grisha. 
and also the end scene I, I remembered as well, which we'll get, which is another great action sequence, mm-hmm. which, you know, you haven't gotten there yet, but the action in this, but I, you might be right. I'm, I'm trying hard to think of like, I, I keep thinking of like the, Al, um, which can like consent to in, kill. Rapping consent to kill. That house yes. scene where he takes out like 13 guys. But I don't think it was as exciting as this. It was cool to watch Rap shoot up these dudes, like run around this house, sniping them off with a Glock. Memorial Day, like tracking down the nuke. My my other one I would say is a top contender is Memorial Day, the helicopter and the boats, and then bringing it to the mountain. So I, I maybe that's second and this is third. But yeah, the Memorial Day, the helicopter, the nuke at the end might be the only other thing. I was I was literally drooling over this scene. And then, so Scott's pinned down. He took one shot in the calf, one shot off the helmet in the head. He's bleeding, and I love how it says the sweat is being mixed in with his blood. He knows he can't walk because of his calf. And then, like, everything goes silent, and these ISIS dudes or these local fighters they have stop shooting. And Scott's calculating, like, I don't think with all this din, anybody could be loud enough to give an order. So there must be somebody in charge here who they're all freaking piss scared of because there's no like general shouting, cease fire, cease fire. And everyone stops that briskly. Like there's there's an alpha male here. Like there's an alpha dog. And as soon as he says that out of the silence, he expects to see just some dark Middle Eastern dude, you know, with an AK-47 running through the warehouse. But slowly walking is a dude in a suit, like a crisp suit with these nice shoes. And he's just walking up to Scott, firing at him as Scott's cowering in this office behind a wall. Like, I Watching Grisha, and then he starts running. And Scott's like, one, I didn't expect a guy in a suit. Two, he just started running and raps the fastest person I've ever seen run. And this guy's considerably faster. And Scott even's like, if I was just fighting an average Joe, I'd be firing warning shots at him, even if I know I can't move and I can't get to cover because I can't walk. I'd just fire warning shots just to scare him or slow him down. He's like, I'd actually rather conserve ammo here because there's no point. This guy's not going to be scared of my warning shots. And Grisha's just coming for him. And Rap, meanwhile, is on a rooftop looking down through a sunroof, doesn't have all the angles. And there's no radio contact because the headshot messed up Scott's radio. Rap doesn't know if he makes a move. He doesn't see this other guy yet. And then, holy shit, listen to this. Rap's thinking, here's a quote finally. I, I actually have a quote. Rap's mentor, Stan Hurley, stressed creativity and improvisation over learned knowledge. One of his many mantras fit the situation perfectly. If everyone else is thinking right and left, you better well be thinking. You better fucking well be thinking up and down. And Rap's like three-dimensional, up and down, left, right. I don't see anybody. He looks up, and there's Grisha climbing a crane. And Grisha's hiding behind like the mast or the track of this crane. And he's crawling into the ceiling. But Rap can't get a drop on him because he knows how to conceal himself. He just sees like his foot or his sleeve. And he's like, wait, he's going to the ceiling above Scott's position. And I know Scott can't move. Then all of a sudden, Rap's waiting to take the shot as he drops through the ceiling. And Rap gets caught off guard because the dude swings on an angle through the ceiling. Rap's waiting for him to drop vertically. And instead, he comes in on an angle, making it hard for a sniper to shoot him. And Rap can't get the shot off. He's like, my chance of hitting him was close to zero. And Rap's stuck on this rooftop. He has no idea how to get down there and help Scott. And then he sees Grisha pulling this knife but he can't get an angle on him because he's hiding behind some like countertop. Oh my God, dude. It's awesome. I had to read. I remember vividly when I, cause I read this one with, with an actual tangible book for the first time. And I had to go back and reread this, these couple of chapters to, in order to appreciate them better. Oh, because yeah. like it's, it's flying very fast. And then on, on listening to it, the past couple of days, I, I, w- I would just go back and, and re-listen to it because the description of understanding where Grisha's going and right. the, what Rap is seeing. And I knew you were going to pick that quote, by the way, as I was listening to it. I was like, the three-dimensional Martini, Mar- thinking. Martini's going to pick yep. this quote. 
no, I, you're movie. right. This is if if this is up there with one of the best action sequences in the entire series. Oh my god! And we already know. I think Coleman's been shot four times. So it was the headshot. It was the calf. When Grisha closes in on him, or no, as Grisha is dropping down. through the ceiling, he's spraying shots. Hits him in the collarbones. He takes another one or two, I think, in the shoulder. Then he gets the knife wound, and Rap's trying to watch the hand-to-hand fight, and he's like. If I were there, I know that knife would have to go deeper in, but I wouldn't want to expose myself. He knows how Grisha is going to drop Scott and land on him. In order to so put that the, the knife, knife further in. Right, so the knife goes further in, and any sniper coming from that sunroof or that uh, the rooftop can't get you. And he's like, this, this dude is doing everything right, even better than I might be doing it in this situation. And what's the, the stakes of that? My best friend is most likely going to die right here, right now, and I'm pinned down on this roof. And he does the only thing he can. He can't get a shot off because this guy's so good at concealing himself. He shoots the glass when he sees the guy turn his face a little bit and the glass gets Coleman in the back of the head. But Grisha's face is exposed. And the only thing that makes Grisha leave is he gets shards of glass basically in his face, almost his eyes. And Grisha has to leave. And and he realizes it's not rap. He's like, who is this guy I'm fighting here? If it's not rap, which is all that Grisha's after... He takes off. Yeah, so that was the thing that sort of saved Scott, right? Because as Grisha is going in for the final blow, he realizes, and because Scott sees that, he sees it, he he takes a pause, and then he, with his last will and strength, he like, you know, starts this whole tussle, which leads to Rap seeing the yellow hair, which saves his life again. Um, The the yellow hair saves his life two ways. (laughs) One, it it had him put on the helmet, and, and two, it allowed Rap to see, all right, now I know which way he's facing. Yep. I'm shoot. Who's who? Yeah, I'm gonna shoot. Yeah, exactly. Dude. No, this this was really cool. And I it leaves you we see some one, we see some real emotion from rap again. Mm-hmm. And then this is gonna be uh, continuing on in the next couple of chapters where rap starts thinking about like what he did, you know, he's lost first his wife, and then and his child, and then uh uh, Stan Hurley and, and Thomas right. Stansfield and like all all these people in his now now Scott you know so yeah it even says when Rap's thinking about that Stan Hurley dying was just a few weeks ago so it's still right wrong. so all of this has happened right relatively quickly yeah really quick and so I love the the personal stakes here because we as the reader don't know if Coleman's gonna make it shot four or five times stabbed stabbed has glass shards in the back of his head. So we have we have stakes as a reader. Rap has stakes because he's reflecting on all this loss and what he's been through. Yet the stakes can't be higher at the same time because they're literally fighting over a nuke sitting in a box in the warehouse. And here's what I love. Rap eventually is able to belay down. So he uses the rope from the helicopter to also tie himself off, belay down through this roof into the warehouse floor. He's getting shot at. He goes quickly past Coleman, drops him a weapon next to him just in case he's able to use it, doesn't even check on Scott because as much as Mitch is thinking, the mission has to come first, right? Right. If this nuke either goes off or gets lost or goes back into terrorist hands, game over. He goes and secures the nuke because Fred Mason, baby, driving the ride in the helicopter. This is our first Fred Mason scene who rap calls in. To do the op with him, he drops a hook. Rap can't find anything on the box to tie it to. He just ties it to the tail of the nuke. He just wraps it around the tail end of the nuke. And this thing is bobbing and crashing along the concrete of the floor until it gets out the warehouse door and the chopper is able to airlift it. And oh my God, Fred Mason, do you remember how he got the nuke? Because Maslick can't pull it. He's, he can't get the angle on it. Into I know, the he essentially door. like scoops it up by like maneuvering the helicopter a certain way this whole leads for like some uh you know some comic relief that that is you know kyle we're really seeing kyle in full force with his humor here this whole because again like maslick ends up sitting on it and (laughs) you know they talk about we just got out of there why do we have to go back we literally have a nuke (laughs) maslick's like i should have taken that job as a as a gas station clerk, like I, I never seen the ocean in in my life, and, and now I'm looking at a nuke in fucking Pakistan. 
And Fred Mason, Fred Mason's like, turn around. Are you crazy? And he says, quote, you realize you're literally sitting on a nuclear bomb, right? Maslick looked down. He actually was sitting on it. Uh, this the, the whole scene was uh, coupled, ju- juxtaposed against the fact that we may be losing Scott Coleman. Like Scott might you know, be dying. Yeah. Could you imagine like reading this as, you know, not knowing, first time, you know, first time not knowing what's going to happen to Scott and you can be like, Oh, but Kyle, Kyle just got this. He wants to make a bold statement. He just killed Boom. Stan. He, he just killed Stan. Why not do our other favorite side character in Scott Coleman? Like, he, yo, do you think that could have backfired if his first two books, he killed off two of rap's closest people and two of the fans favorite people. I, that might've backfired. He comes awfully close here. He, he does come awfully close. And he just did another one of Rap's, Rap's characters. Yeah, but that's way later. Yeah. We're, this is a second book, man. I know. It's bold. It's bold. Uh, it, that, it's, it's like, it's bold, but we ultimately he doesn't. You know, Scott survived. Spoiler. Spoiler obviously. alert. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I just, I wish I could go back and enjoy the, this idea of, of Scott not living. And, it, you know, because we get these continuation scenes where Rap brings this nuke back, right? He brings Scott back, the soldier. The soldier needs to come back. Right. And we keep getting updates from first the, the doctor when, when they land in Afghanistan that he's probably not going to, you know, we don't know. And then from Irene, two times where she's like, he came he's out of surgery, but he's in a coma. And then another phone call where he's then then we get like the real hammer drops. Uh, he only has a couple hours, you know. And then Rap and Maz are going like, what was it like, 150 miles an hour through right. Virginia to get to the hospital to get to Bethesda. In that sick car from the from Craig. Yeah, Craig souped that thing up. Yeah, so that's where they take the nuke, right? Mm-hmm. They want to get some intel. Basically, take this thing apart, see who tampered with it, see if you can get any forensics on it. And they use a guy in southwestern Virginia, sound like really out there, really isolated, who's living in a facility of, on the CIA's dime, it looked like one of our uh, Cold War, like fallout shelters, or like one of our nuclear arsenal uh, shelters. And so he's got all the tools available to him to analyze this thing, take it into a chamber, pull it apart. And yet, pretty cool because you got to imagine CIA's got people like that, just these experts in their field who are a little too off the deep end to be on the payroll or be in an official capacity, but who, if you need in a pinch, they could soup up a car for you to go see your dead friend and at the same time take apart a nuke to tell you who tampered with it and where the parts came from. Right. And I guess just before we, we wrap up here, we find out that it's a nuke. And it it's operational, but it's missing its fissile material. That's what was really going on in the warehouse while Scott was getting taken. Right. That they were extracting They weren't trying it. to get the warhead, but they were trying to get the, the fissile material. Right, right, right. And I think he's able to find there's some evidence of Russian parts. That That's what eventually is going to happen, but they know that this is not Pakistani. That it, it right. someone else, and this is all him, and he's like, the key is finding out who it was that shot that shot Scott and they tried and now his mission will be to find out Grisha and, and, and who he is and there's only they only got one of the nukes but they know the entire arsenal because of the politics in Pakistan between the general Shirani and the president or prime minister Jitani they're arguing over who has control of these nukes so they're basically being driven around Pakistan some of them unsupervised you know they were saying in milk trucks or something right because both sides of this faction are trying to claim power and control and there's no civilian oversight of this and the army is kind of running roughshod with these nukes. So it's only one and there may be many more falling into the wrong hands. All right. Well, Mike, uh, why don't you give me your uh, winners and losers? Who won this book? Yeah. Or who um, won the first half of this book, I should say. Right. Yeah, we talked about it. So I think... Some things are a little maybe out of order, uh, just trying to figure out and keep up with the storylines. Almost like, you know, Vince did that where 
he'll drop you into five or six storylines and you'll slowly see them come together. Come together, yeah. I feel like that's somewhat happening, but I'm going to kind of put it on the loser end because it's almost too distracting or jarring. And I'm going to put as two major winners. That action scene. You heard me talking about it. Definitely. It's not only a winner of this book, it's a winner in terms of action scenes of this entire series. But the other winner we didn't get into as much, I'll just say very quickly, the the power dynamics in Russia. I buy that much more than the power dynamics in Pakistan. I buy the oligarchs, their conversation, tr- this Krupin trying to resurrect the idea of the Russian czars. I feel like the power dynamics in Russia and the way that is explained through the dialogue with all of these different players is just really well done and well crafted. And in fact, I would say, I think Kyle did that and replaced what Vince would have done, which is having American politicians and the dialogue right. between subcommittees and hearings. There's, to be honest, with Russian subcommittees. <laughs> the, yeah, with this board of oligarchs, there's no American politician halfway through this book and Vince would have absolutely had some BS going on with the American political machine. Kyle has moved us on. He's just not even touching that. And I mean, to me, that's a stark break from Vince's style and tradition here, which I'm, I'm okay with. I'm not saying that's a loser. I'm just saying it's different. We would have had one scene with, you know, it might not have been an important politician, or important government character, but we would have had at least one scene with with someone who was either being a dumbass or going to eventually mess up something, you know. Exactly. Like, uh, what is it in the Last Man that that scene with with the uh, the underling from from the State Department along with the the military person that she's sleeping with, Ariana Vintner, yep, and the reintegration. Ultimately, like that that storyline and, and those two characters, we'd never see again. But we would have had something like that, you know. And that and that those characters weren't just, you should know about this person. They're important to my story. No, those characters were there to remind you of the real world impact that politics was having for the folks operating on the ground in Afghanistan. So even right. if those characters and their interactions had nothing to do with or didn't do much to advance the plot of the book, they brought you into the world and made it realistic. I feel like instead of the American politics... Kyle's doing that with the Russian oligarchs. I agree. All right, your winners, your losers. Oh well, you, you said them both. Uh, I I think also just the introduction of Grisha. Like, uh, yes, yes, yes. First time in a while that we get this uh, a new character that is 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 very interesting and going to become a major player in, at least in the, in the next couple books. I was kind of sad that we don't see him after Red War. Um, but I guess he still could be lingering out there. Maybe Kyle could bring him back. But yeah, no, I I, I think. And then like Grisha gets the drop on, on both Mitch and Scott. So and he Scott, has to be yeah. the winner of the first half. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Grisha because you know how we did Vince's villains a few weeks ago. A couple of people in the comments were like, oh, Grisha, Grisha's got to be one of the best. He's got to be in the top five. And like, he's not. A I was Vince like, villain. I agree with you, but we're talking about Vince Flynn's villains. But you're absolutely right. Like. Grisha's up there in villains for the whole series. He's up there in for sure. In, in, in my top five, or sure. even just characters, like best crafted or created characters. Sure, he even makes yeah. the top list. So yeah, very much so. Cool, nice. All right, well, that's the first half of the book. Uh, we will be back next week to wrap it up and give you our breakdown of the covers. Yes, cover talk, and you know what we do on part two of these books maybe a limerick or two well maybe i'm excited all right so we need to thank our patrons our special operator sherry f our special agents george matt don dennis peggy Catherine, ray bridget jeff and mark subscribe rate and review using your favorite podcasting platform find us at mitrappod.com or on twitter or insta at mitrappod uh, go check out that Body Man post, and you can win yourself a copy of that if you retweet or re. What is it on post? Insta? Repost. Repost. I guess share. We'll pull and that winner in a couple of weeks. Yep. And as always, just like Mitch, be Mitch.
Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Gorilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.